John chapter 8, 8.37 to 40. We'll read the context from 31 to 47. If you are Abraham's children, starting at verse 31, John 8.31. Jesus, therefore, was saying to those Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. They answered him, We are Abraham's offspring and have never yet been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you shall become free? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is the slave of sin, and the slave does not remain in the house forever. The son does remain forever. If therefore the son shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. I know that you are Abraham's offspring, yet... You seek to kill me because my word has no place in you. I speak the things which I have seen with my father. Therefore, you also do the things which you heard from your father. They answered and said to him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, If you are Abraham's children, do the deeds of Abraham. But as it is, you are seeking to kill me, a man who has told you the truth which I heard from God, this Abraham did not do. You are doing the deeds of your father. They said to him, We were not born of fornication. We have one father, that is God. Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me. For I proceeded forth and have come from God. For I have not even come on my own initiative. But he sent me. Why do you not understand what I'm saying? It is because you cannot hear my word. You are of your father, the devil, and you want to do the desires of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature, for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I speak the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I speak the truth, why do you not believe me? He who is of God hears the words of God. For this reason, you do not hear them, because you are not of God. Amen. Let's pray. Our Lord, we're grateful for the truth of your word. And we pray, Lord, that we'll gain understanding and grow in this truth and knowledge. We want, Lord, also to grow in righteousness, in holiness. We want to desire the heavenly things, not the things of the world. And we pray, Lord, that we will indeed hear the words of God, and by hearing them, have assurance that we are of God. May we be that way. In the name of Christ, amen. In verses 31 to 36, Christ addresses, in verse 31, those who had believed him. The Apostle John in this passage is showing us that some people say they believe, they give a little bit of evidence that they believe, but they really don't believe. They don't believe the truth, they want nothing to do with Christ, they don't read the Bible, they don't want to hear the Bible, they don't believe what's in the Bible, they don't obey what's in the Bible, And in fact, they turn against Christ himself. In this case, they actually wanted to kill him. That's how much they hate 
the truth. They won't abide or remain, continue in the truth of Christ's words, and they don't remain faithful until the end. Therefore, they show that they are not true believers. They are not true disciples. He said in 31, If you abide in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine. If you don't abide, if you don't continue, if you don't live in it, then you're not truly disciples of Christ. That's the point he makes. He also mentions to them how the truth will set them free from sin. They are slaves of sin, but the truth, Jesus Christ the truth, the word of truth, the spirit of truth, the God of truth, will set them free from sin. However, they deny that they are slaves to anyone or to anything. And what they miss is their own history, and they miss their own current political circumstances. In their history, numerous times they were enslaved, and even at the moment they say the words, they are slaves to the Romans. However, the greatest slavery that has blinded them is their own slavery to sin. Their slavery to their own sins. They miss that being so blinded by their sins. They claim they are free and not enslaved, but their own sins have blinded them to that reality. They are slaves of sin. He says so in 34. Everyone who commits sin is the slave of sin. We're not supposed to be slaves of sin. We should be released from that slavery, set free, and the only one who does so for us is Christ. Verse 36. If therefore the Son shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. Well, last time, and in this paragraph 31 to 36, Jesus focused on their slavery to sin, that they must have release from slavery to sin, freedom from that. Now he turns his attention in verses 37 to 40 to remove from them this claim that they are Abraham's offspring because with this assertion or this claim that they are Abraham's offspring, because they are physically his offspring, they think automatically they are spiritually his offspring. They asserted that in verse 33. We are Abraham's offspring. Because they were blood descendants of Abraham, they thought that they were also redeemed descendants of Abraham when they weren't. This is what Jesus is going to unpack, unravel, and destroy in verses 37 to 40. Jesus is going to refute them with that assertion. That assertion, they said, Abraham's offspring. If they are Abraham's offspring, truly, how would they live? That's the point. 37 to 40. Verse 37, Christ says, I know that you are Abraham's offspring. When he says this, he means, I know that you are Abraham's physical descendants. I know that in the bloodline, in the genealogy of all the tribes of Israel, all the descendants of the tribes, we all have our origin in Abraham. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and then Jacob's 12 sons. Anyone reading the book of Genesis clearly, plainly understands that. 
All we need to do is read the book of Genesis, chapters 12 or 11 to 50, for Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and the 12 sons, and then Exodus chapter 1, just read Exodus chapter 1, and we see that those 12 tribes became very numerous, became a nation, Exodus chapter 1, in the time of Moses. That's all we need to know, that they are indeed Abraham's offspring. Yes, that is plain, that's obvious. The problem, the problem was not that they were descendants of Abraham, offspring of Abraham. Christ acknowledges that. I know that you are Abraham's offspring. That is not where the problem is. The problem is their confidence, their false confidence, their false assurance in being descendants of Abraham. They put false confidence or false assurance in being descendants of Abraham when they should have known better never to do that. When they are Abraham's descendants, they have certain benefits. They have the prophets, they have the patriarchs, they have the covenants, they have the word of God, they have the promises of Christ, they have those promises all delivered to them in their hands, they have proximity to it. They don't live on the other side of the world because the Bible is right there in their hands. That's what they had as Abraham's offspring. So the problem is not being Abraham's offspring. The problem is false confidence, false assurance on that fact. When they don't have faith like Abraham did, they don't repent like Abraham did, and they don't obey Christ like Abraham did. That's where the problem is. And this is a problem that they experienced throughout their life throughout their history. Should they have known better? Yes. Who else was a descendant of Abraham? We have been saying Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But who else was a descendant of Abraham in the book of Genesis? Immediate descendant. Who was the brother of Isaac? But Ishmael. But Ishmael, he was not pleasing to the Lord, yet he was a physical descendant of Abraham. Correct? And that goes on to Isaac. Isaac had two sons, Jacob and Esau. Two sons by the same wife. The one wife, Rebekah. Isaac had Jacob and Esau. Both were descendants of Abraham and descendants of Isaac. But Jacob was chosen. Esau was rejected. Jacob was righteous. Esau was wicked. And lost forever. Esau was. And we could go on to many examples throughout the Old Testament. Where the nation, because of their persistent sin, their refusal to repent of sin, the nation was enslaved and destroyed again and again and again. And finally, in the book of Lamentations. Let's read an excerpt from the book of Lamentations. Find Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel. Find Lamentations, and we'll go to a few verses here in chapters 1 and 2 to illustrate the fact that they, these people,
people, Abraham's descendants, Abraham's offspring, and yet they were completely rejected by the Lord himself. Completely annihilated and wiped out by the Lord himself, except for a remnant such as Jeremiah the prophet, and Daniel the prophet, and Ezekiel the prophet. The book of Lamentations. Remember, the bloodline of Abraham, the physical descendants of Abraham, what happened to them because of their refusal to believe the gospel, repent of sin, and obey Christ? What happened to them? Lamentations chapter 1. The Babylonians destroyed them, and now they bemoan that fact. A foreign invader, the Babylonians, destroyed them, and now they are bemoaning this in Lamentations. That's why it's called the Lamentations of Jeremiah, to lament or to moan because of the grief of, that you are experiencing all around you. Verse 1, Lamentations 1.1. 1, 1. How lonely sits the city that was full of people. She has become like a widow who was once great among the nations. She who was a princess among the provinces has become a forced laborer. The city, Zion, Jerusalem, was full of people at one time. It was a princess. But now the princess has become a forced laborer. What's a forced laborer? A slave. The city and the inhabitants of the city have become slaves to the Babylonians. Verse 2, she weeps bitterly in the night and her tears are on her cheeks. She has none to comfort her among all her lovers. All her friends have dealt treacherously with her. They have become her enemies. Judah has gone into exile under affliction and under harsh servitude. She dwells among the nations, but she has found no rest. All her pursuers have overtaken her in the midst of distress. The roads of Zion are in mourning because no one comes to the appointed feasts. All her gates are desolate. Her priests are groaning. Her virgins are afflicted. And she herself is bitter. Her adversaries have become her masters. Her enemies prosper. For the Lord has caused her grief. Why? Because of the multitude of her transgressions. Her little ones have gone away as captives before the adversary. We see, because of the multitude of her transgressions, she is completely devastated. A populous place becomes a place of paucity of people. The complete opposite has happened. That place that had wealth now becomes a place of poverty. That place of freedom now has become a place of slavery. That place of many children, many little ones, the little ones have been taken captive and become slaves of foreigners now. Their own very little children. And who did this? Well, we said, because of the multitude of her transgressions, they failed to repent of sin. And they trusted in their heritage instead of trusting in the Lord. They trusted their heritage instead of the Lord. The Lord who blessed them is now the Lord who curses them. Verse 5 said, chapter 1, verse 5, The Lord has caused her grief. Ultimately, they sinned against God and God punished them. Let's emphasize that point. Lamentations 1, 12. The Lord as the source 
of her punishment. Lamentations 1.12. Is it nothing to all you who pass this way? Look and see if there is any pain like my pain, which was severely dealt out to me, which the Lord inflicted on the day of his fierce anger. The Lord inflicted this in the day of his fierce anger. From on high he sent fire into my bones, and it prevailed over them. He, the Lord, has spread a net for my feet. He has turned me back. He has made me desolate, faint all day long. 14. The yoke of my transgressions is bound by his hand. They are knit together. They have become, they have come upon my neck. He has made my strength fail. The Lord has given me into the hands of those against whom I am not able to stand. 15. The Lord has rejected all my strong men in my midst. He has called an appointed time against me to crush my young men. The Lord has trodden as in a day, as in a winepress. Verse 17. Zion stretches out her hands. There is none to comfort her. The Lord has commanded concerning Jacob that the ones round about him should be his adversaries. Jerusalem has become an unclean thing among them. Verse 21. They have heard that I groan. There is no one to comfort me. All my enemies have heard of my calamity. They are glad that you have done it. Notice who notices this? The enemies are acknowledging and they are glad that God, the God of Israel, has punished Israel. They are glad that you have done it. Oh, that you would bring the day which you have proclaimed that they may become like me. Let all their wickedness come before you and deal with them as you have dealt with me for all my transgressions. For my groans are many and my heart is faint. It's good to be Abraham's offspring, but if it's not matched with faith in God, faith in Christ, in the gospel of God, and if it's not matched with repentance, turning away from sin and pursuing righteousness, if it's not matched with that, it's of no value. In fact, one is guilty and more guilty for not doing what they know to be true. So John 8:37 In Jesus case it says in John 8:37 yet you seek to kill me you seek to kill me and even in verse 40 but as it is you are seeking to kill me instead of obeying the word of Christ they want to kill Christ This is the way they treated the prophets. Didn't Ahab and Jezebel seek to kill Elijah the prophet? They sought to kill Elijah the prophet. 1 Kings chapter 19. Ahab and Jezebel sought to kill Elijah the true prophet of God. There are many examples of this in the Old Testament. That they in 1 Kings 19 and elsewhere, sought to kill the true prophets of God. 
the false prophets of God, they would not seek to kill them. They would make them their buddies. They would listen all day long to their smooth and soothing messages, but not to the true prophets. They would seek to kill them. This is even evident in Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9, Saul of Tarsus, Saul of Tarsus, the Apostle Paul, before his conversion, he sought to kill the body of Christ. Not only are they in John trying to kill Christ, but they will always seek to kill the body of Christ. Acts chapter 9, verse 1. Acts 9, 1. Now Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked for letters from him to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, the way is the first way or first term used to describe Christians, the way. Any belonging to the way, both men and women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. And it came about that as he journeyed, he was approaching Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him, and he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he answered, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Jesus had already died, was buried, and then ascended into heaven. Jesus already did that, was raised from the dead and ascended into heaven. That already happened. This is years later. And yet it says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Because he was persecuting the body of Christ. If he persecutes the body of Christ, the church, the head is Christ, he's persecuting Christ. What do people do who refuse to believe the gospel and repent of sin? They persecute Christ. Whether literally or metaphorically, metaphorically by persecuting the church of Christ. Those who are preaching the truth, they want to kill. They want to get rid of those people. They will seek to kill the true messengers of God. Whether those messengers are pastors or other Christians, they will seek to kill us. They will seek to do away with us. They will seek to get rid of us in however way they can. They will either try to do it violently or they will do it verbally and then also they might do it by separation. They seek to kill or get away from the true word preached. They might be violent against us or they might say words against us. Verbally, they might speak against us in order to disparage us, to slander us, to defame us so that they don't have to associate with us. That's what they do. They, when they do it against us, they're actually doing it against Christ. It's the nature of unbelief to oppose the truth by speaking ill of the truth and those who follow the truth. They seek to slander the truth and those who present the truth. It's common. 
Furthermore, they might seek to walk away, to separate. In this case, they saw Jesus right there and they wanted to pick up stones by the end of the chapter to stone him to death. That's the way they did it there. In our case, if they don't do it like that, they, and they don't have the ability to kill us or the ability to slander us to our face, they will do so away from us. They will walk away and have no association with us anymore. They will walk away and not want to mingle with us anymore. They will not want to fellowship with us any longer. That's the way they will, will be. They will walk away. Keep your place here in John and turn to 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2. 1 John 2.19 2.19 They went out from us, but they were not really of us. For if they had been of us, they would have remained with us. But they went out in order that it might be shown that they all are not of us. They physically went out from us. Verse 19. They went out. They disappeared. They walked away. Though they walked away, they were not really of us. Because if you walk away, you're not really of us. For if they had been of us, he means if they truly belonged to us, they truly believed like us, they truly embraced the truth of the word, they would have remained with us. They would hang around. They would stick around. But they went out. Why did they go out? In order that it might be shown that they all are not of us. It needs to be manifest. It needs to be demonstrated. It needs to be shown that everyone who comes to a local church, everyone who hears the word preached, does not actually believe in that word that's being preached. Does not actually belong to Christ. Because they despise that word so much that they walk away. They go away. They separate. They disfellowship. They seek greener pastures elsewhere. That's what they want to do. Or nowhere. Often it is the case that they go elsewhere or nowhere when they deviate from the truth, when they separate from the truth. If we belong to Christ, we won't do any of these things. If we are truly Abraham's offspring, we won't do these things. John 8, John 8, 37. Why is it that people do these things? Why do they kill? Why do they slander? And why, why do they disassociate? Verse 37 says, Because my word has no place in you. My word has no place in you. And in verse 40, But as it is, you are seeking to kill me, a man who has told you the truth, which I heard from God, this Abraham did not do. 
My word has no place in you means my word of truth, which I heard from God the Father. My word of truth, which I heard from God the Father, it has no place in you. That is a very loaded statement. The words Jesus preaches are words of truth. They come from God the Father. And the people hearing them, the people hearing them, that word has no place in them. It doesn't reside in them. It has not made a home inside of them, inside of their heart, inside of their soul. It's not in them anymore or any significant way. When I say anymore... It resides there temporarily, such as the parable of the sower. In the parable of the sower, that word was received into the heart momentarily, temporarily, for a short time. It does not remain in that hearer permanently and forever. It does not remain there. It remains there temporarily. When there is temporary manifestation of the word in someone's life, it does not guarantee that that person is true, that that person is a true believer, a true disciple. This goes back to what Jesus said in verses 31 and following. If you abide in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine. If you continue in my word, If you don't continue in my word, you are not truly disciples of mine. It's not true of you if you are in my word temporarily. Many people, they flatter themselves with superficial knowledge and superficial fruit when it's not genuine fruit. They flatter themselves with this superficial Christianity. We have to be on guard for that. Even the people who listen to the truth have to always be on guard for that. The Bible warns us to be on guard for that. How so, you may ask. 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 13. 2 Corinthians 13, 5. Is the letter of 2 Corinthians, is it a letter that was sent to a local church? Yes, to the church in Corinth. Did these people at Corinth assemble as the church as Christians? Yes. Did these people receive the letters of the Apostle Paul? Did did it come into their possession? Yes, they received them in that sense. It was in their possession. Did they read them? Yes. Did they profess them? Yes. Everything yes, 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 right? So this audience or this recipient, notice here, 2 Corinthians 13.5. Test yourselves to see if you are in the faith. Examine yourselves. Or do you not recognize this about yourselves? That Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you fail the test. Test 
yourselves. Testing is necessary to see if you are in the faith. Is that, is that not a command? Doesn't he say, do it, test yourselves? If we're to test ourselves, then let's do it. Even if we claim to be Christian, even though we go to church, even though we hear the Bible. He says, examine yourselves. That means, if he's saying test or examine, these are usually words in the schoolhouse, correct? To test and examine are typically terms we use in the schoolhouse. Because every student listening to the teacher, he gives evidence by being present. He gives evidence that he's listening. He gives evidence by writing notes that he is imbibing, receiving everything the teacher is saying. Correct? But the test of whether that student really understands what the teacher is saying comes on the day of the test, on the day of the exam. Does the student, does the hearer know? Or is he just going through the motions of listening to words being spoken by the teacher, holding his pen or pencil in hand, writing notes on the paper, showing up to class every day, but really his mind is elsewhere. He does not comprehend, does not like, does not believe, does not want to know what the teacher is actually dispensing to him. That day of the test will bring to the surface the true nature of that student, the true knowledge of that student, whether the, the student is a good student or a bad student, right? That's the kind of thing he's expecting us to do, to test ourselves, examine ourselves. And Jesus is in us unless we fail the test. Jesus is in us unless we fail the test. How are we going to then examine ourselves? Do we do it by flattering ourselves? Is the student is the student going to pass the test by flattering himself? Oh, I know everything. I know what the teacher's been saying this whole semester. I get it. Does he flatter himself? If he flatters himself, will he pass? No. So he should never flatter himself. I already know everything the teacher has been saying, so there's no need for me to work hard. There's no need for me to study. There's no need for me to slog. There's no need for me to open the books and to make sure about the knowledge that was delivered to me for the whole semester. If the student doesn't do that, it's going to be miserable on the day of the exam, right? Okay, then, on what basis does he prepare himself for the test? Does he do it based on his own knowledge? If he is studying, if he's studying biology, does he pick up a math book or his biology book? If he is studying math, does he pick up his history book or his math book? If he has a history exam, is he going to pick up a chemistry book or a biology book to study history? No. So how are we 
going to prepare ourselves the Word of God. If we don't know the Bible, we don't use it to test ourselves, we don't use it to gauge ourselves, we don't read it, we don't love it, we don't want to know what it says, how are we going to test ourselves? By it. We can't. We have no proper standard of evaluation if we don't know, if we don't read, if we don't study the Bible. Genesis to Revelation. Not just a few favorite verses. We're saved by grace. God so loved the world. And so forth. It can't be our pet verses that deceive and delude us into thinking we know what we're doing. We have to know the Bible, the whole Bible. Jesus said, my word has no place in you. That should not be the case with us. We should test ourselves properly by having his word in us, richly within us. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Colossians 3, 16. Colossians 3.16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, abundantly. It should be inside of us. We now come to John 8, 38 to 39. Verses 38 to 39. All of us have an origin. All of us have a father. Whether we are people, animals, plants, we all have an origin. We all have a place or source of origination. Correct? So Jesus says the same, spiritually speaking. Verses 38 and 39. I speak the things which I have seen with my Father, therefore you also do the things which you heard from your Father. There are two fathers, ultimate fathers, spiritually speaking. Either the Father of Christ, that is God the Father, or your Father, and he's implying, Jesus is implying, asserting that Jesus' Father and their Father, the Father of unbelievers, are not the same, but different fathers. You have a Father and I have a father. My father is not your father, and your father is not my father. That's a clear demarcation in verse 38. Correct? They understand that clearly. They know that clearly because of what they say in 39. They answered and said to him, Abraham is our father, Jesus said to them, if you are Abraham's children, do the deeds of Abraham. Now I think that they are making a connection and claiming to not only be Abraham's physical offspring, but spiritual offspring. Because Jesus is now presenting this picture here. They know Jesus is also a descendant of Abraham. Just as they are descendants, they know Jesus is. Jesus was a Jew. Jesus of Nazareth was a son of David. He was a Jew from the tribe of Judah indisputable historical evidence that's who he was. So they see now he's beginning to to press them on this matter. Yes, I know you're physically there, but you're not spiritually there. So they are wanting spiritually. They don't have it spiritually 
And they are getting that, but they're claiming that to also be Abraham's descendants, still in that regard. Who, in fact, was their father? Verse 44. Verse 44. They go back and forth about who the father is, one another's father is. In verse 44, Jesus now indisputably tells them who their father was. Verse 44. You are of your father, the devil. And you want to do the desires of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Categorically, Jesus put them in the category of Satan, the devil. God is not your father. The devil is your father. He doesn't mean it literally because the devil is spirit. He means it spiritually speaking. The devil is their father. And they want to do the desires of their father, the devil. And what is that? Don't believe the word of Christ. Don't remain in the word of Christ. Kill Christ. Persecute Christ. Persecute the people who follow Christ. This is what Satan does. These are the evil desires of Satan. And this is nothing new about Satan. It says in 44, he was a murderer from the beginning. From the beginning of time. Genesis chapter 3. Early on in the creation week, on the sixth day of creation, he began to be a liar and a murderer. Lies leading to death. He uses the instrument of lies for the goal of death. Satan does this all the time. He uses lies or deceit as his tool. That's what he uses to produce death in people. Nothing new. He did it from the very beginning. He does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. No redemptive truth in him. Nothing whatsoever. There is no point in compromising, conceding, no point in giving the devil an inch because there's no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature, for he is a liar and the father of lies. His nature is to lie, he speaks lies. That's the devil, Satan, the serpent, the dragon. That's who he is. Their father was Satan. All unbelievers have Satan for their father. All unbelievers have Satan. Not only the audience of Christ right here. Certainly they do. But all unbelievers which includes us before our conversion. God is not our Father until we are in Christ. Ephesians 2. Ephesians 2, verse 1. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 to 3. All of us, outside of Christ, belong to the devil. Ephesians 2, 1 to 3. 
And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you formerly walked, according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them, we too, we too, that is Christians now, but we too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. The rest are still this way. We used to be this way. Verse 3, it's the flesh. Verse 2, the world and the prince of the power of the air, the devil. The world, the flesh, and the devil. The prince of the power of the air is describing Satan, the devil. The world, the flesh, and the devil all controlled us. We formally lived that way. But not anymore. What we must do when we evangelize, when we preach the gospel, though it is difficult because of the flesh and the fear of man, we actually have to tell people that they are dead in trespasses and sins. We have to tell them that they're Destination is hell, the lake of fire, unless they repent. We also must tell them that they belong to the devil. That's a hard truth that is rarely mentioned when the gospel is preached. That you, you listener, you hear, I'm telling you the truth. You belong to the devil. The devil is your father. Because you don't love God in the right way. The biblical way, you don't love him in Christ, you don't cherish the truth of the word, you belong to the devil. You believe lies, you speak lies, you live a lie, you have a sentence of death on you, and eternal death awaits you. Is that not what Jesus is telling them in this chapter? He is. He's telling them this very fact that they belong to the devil. They object, though. They object. We don't belong to the devil. We don't belong to a pagan nation. We don't belong to pagan gods. We have Abraham for our father, and later they're going to say, we have God for our father, verse 41. We have one father, that is God. So physically and spiritually, Abraham is their ancestor. And then spiritually, God is their father, they're saying. It's not true. How can we know that someone's lying to us? How can we know someone's lying to himself? Jesus gives the answer. Verse, verses 39 and 40. If you are Abraham's children, do the deeds of Abraham. But as it is, you are seeking to kill me, a man who has told you the truth, which I heard from God. This Abraham did not do. Abraham did not seek to kill Christ. Abraham did not practice lies and deceit. Abraham did not practice murder. Abraham obeyed God in righteousness. He commanded his household to keep the way of the Lord by doing justice and righteousness. Right? He did that. Genesis 18.19 teaches us that. In fact, Genesis 18 is just one example of how Abraham 
with great joy, with great gladness, received Christ. There, there were three men, two were angels and one was Christ in Genesis 18. In Genesis 18, when Christ spoke the word to him, spoke the truth to him, interacted with him face to face in his pre-incarnate state, Abraham, with great diligence, received Christ, was very hospitable to Christ, and he believed the word of Christ. Abraham was that way throughout his life, throughout his converted life. Not before Christ, but throughout his converted life, he loved Christ, he practiced the righteousness of Christ, he never sought to disbelieve the word of Christ, to walk away from Christ, to practice evil deeds, to kill the prophets of God, to kill the saints of God, to persecute. He did none of that sort. But these descendants do that against the true prophets of God throughout the Old Testament, the true apostles of God throughout the New Testament. And since that time, all the messengers of truth, whether pastors or other Christians, whoever preaches the truth, inevitably they rise up against that individual. Abraham did not behave that way. But the sons of the devil behave that way. If we are of Abraham, it will be clear because we will do the deeds of Abraham. Here, the fruit of our life will show whether we belong to God the Father or Satan, the God and Father of this world. Do we belong to God or do we belong to the devil? The way we live will manifest one or the other. The way we live. 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3. First John 3, 3 to 10. First John 3, 3 to 10. He explained that we will see Christ one day. So First John 3, 3. And everyone who has this hope fixed on him purifies himself just as he is pure. Everyone who practices sin also practices lawlessness and sin is lawlessness. And you know that he appeared in order to take away sins and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him sins. No one who sins has seen him or knows him. Little children, let no one deceive you. The one who practices righteousness is righteous just as he is righteous. The one who practices sin is of the devil. For the devil has sinned from the beginning. The Son of God appeared for this purpose, that he might destroy the works of the devil. No one who is born of God practices sin because his seed abides in him. And he cannot sin because he is born of God. By this, the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. Anyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor the one who does not love his brother. There are only two origins. Either we are born of God or we are children of God of the devil. Only two. Two spiritual sources. God 
or the devil. If our life, the fruit of our life, involves sin, we don't belong to God. Because Jesus came for the very purpose of destroying everything the devil has produced in us. Whatever the devil has wrought in us, Jesus has come to annihilate that, to destroy it, to wipe it out. First by our conversion, and then by our daily consecration, and then finally at the consummation at the end of the ages. From conversion, consecration in this life, and consummation in the world to come. He came for that purpose. Abraham lived that way. We ought to live that way. And this is how we make a distinction between being a true child of Abraham or being a son of the devil. Do we belong to God or Satan? He who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says. Amen.